HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is presented by Shaxbury Cider. Hi, I'm HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat and Three, our weekly food news roundup. So every day the shutdown continues to grow is another day that there will be a backlog. This week, we're looking at the unexpected ways the government shutdown has impacted our food system. There are nearly 1.6 million New Yorkers who rely on SNAP to feed themselves and their families every single day. There is a real impact on our friends and neighbors. A lot of farmers rely on commodity loans at the end of the year. Since the offices are not open, those loans aren't available to them. Tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network. That's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Today, like 12.30, abbreviated cooking issues. Every Tuesday from Roberta's Pizzeria in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Joined, as usual, with Nastasia the Hammer Lopez, back from her fantastic, important meeting last week. How you doing, Nastasia? Good. Yeah? 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 We got Matt in the booth. How you doing? Hey, hey, hey. Yeah. So, Nastasia, uh, uh, we already talked about how you were like, you tasted the rice at my house, and you were like, garbage gyro rice. I know. How high are, are my tastes if you're Jiro Rice? But, you know, you she, agreed. She's like, she's you agreed. Like, she, yeah, I'm like, yeah, true, true, fair. I'm like, <laughs> but do you take that as a compliment or as a slight? His rice is, is not, in, I don't like his rice. Right. Like, and, and, the, and the thing is, people, people, we have had other people sushi in Japan. It's not just a case of dumb Americans go to Japan to try to tell the Japanese how to make their own product. It's not like that. Right? right, his rice in particular, you know, I take more exception with the Michelin Guide reviewers. You know what I mean? Like who gave him like the three stars and like oh. blew him up into this giant yeah. thing? Cutting impeccable, cutting great, gorgeous. Everything cooked was disgusting, hammered, right? And the rice was not to my taste, but it is, I think, the way that Jiro wanted it. And you've mimicked it for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> Disgusting Jiro rice. So, uh, how, how you doing? Fine. You enjoying the subway? No. So, people... It's bad enough that we live here, and the weather's like this, and it's awful, and you have to walk everywhere, and you have everything on your back. 
But then, what else? Well, I mean, everything in your back, like, like a total, all your like Mitch McConnell, like a crap. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. All your junk with you at all times. Well, the subway uh, has decided for some reason to skip every stop around, and then go super slow. Yeah, do 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 yeah. do do. Yeah, Just love it, love it, love it. So Nastasia, I don't know why you were taking my subway line I was today. Hair. Oh, yeah, Nastasia so has a secret. Nastasia and I used to go to a secret hair salon. Uh, and really, there's two reasons that we went to this place. One, no one spoke any English at all, so there's no possibility of communication between ourselves and the people. So it was like the only like 45 minutes of basically non-communicative silence, like just like kind of self-space you could get and still be with other people in the city of New York, right? Mm -hmm. It was amazing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And... The other reason was is that the head shampoo is like out, out of this world, and also Nastasia and I, I don't know if you know this cheap, very cheap. Mm-hmm. So you know it was like it's like sixteen bucks. It's like forty five minutes long, includes like half hour hair, you know hair shampoo. You know what I mean? But Nastasia now has found a new place. Do you go there? I I switch. I've been I've been to both. You know recently we can't tell you where they are because we don't want. <laughs> A bunch of English-speaking people showing up and making it so that I can understand what people are saying around me. Mm-hmm. If I can understand what people are saying around me, then my mind will tune into what they're saying. If I have no comprehension of what's going on around me, it's great. It, it's great. It's the best. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so uh, anyway, so that's where that's Nastasia where was. was this morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. Mm-hmm. Had enough time to get here, but. Yeah. Well, apparently not. So now we need to schedule like eight hours to get here. We need to leave the night yeah. before and sleep over. <laughs> we should just sleep in the yeah, tent. Yeah, Matt, can we sleep here? In the army tent. I- absolutely, you can. Sleep in the army um, tent? You know what? There is already a caller on the line, and I'm, I'm sorry to say they do speak English. Oh, well, that's, well, that's fine. fine. That's For job. now, yeah. that's, that's our job. It's like, please we have them not. We want our downtime. Yeah, our, our downtime, we want to be completely without any form of human communication. Oh, okay. Well, I just yeah. wanted this to be relaxing for you. you know? like, no, no, no. no, no. no. If no I, we have to go to Bushwick. If I feel relaxed while I'm at work, shoot me. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Noted. Yeah, caller, you're on the air. Hey, y'all. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, my name is Devin. Uh, Nastasia, I hope you get your mojo back. I'm sending some good vibes your way. Oh, nice. uh, for the Super Bowl, I'm trying to make some sausages that will taste exactly like gumbo. I have a gumbo recipe I like. I've made fresh sausages uh, and blood sausages as well. The blood is the binder. But I can't just figure out how to, to get the texture that I want. Uh, do you guys have any thoughts? Uh, huh. Well, so what, what have you tried so far? Like, so you want it to be super loose on the inside, or you just want, like, the flavors, like the green pepper and, uh, and all of the other things that are in, in the gumbo? Is it going to be, like, are you going to do, like, a shrimp and a sausage base? Like, what are you, what are you doing on the, on the inside? Well, traditionally, the uh, proteins have been some wild game meat and uh, some sausage. Um, I I should have specified, I do want the combination of the gumbo and the rice. So the texture I'm going for is almost like a Korean blood sausage, where the blood is the binder. But I just want it to taste like gumbo and have the other, you know, traditional gumbo ingredients that I've been using. But it's not, in other words, like, you're not worried about, like, the exact... Like texture, you're not like going for like a feel. You're not like worried about like a, an internal sauce. Like 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 a, we're not going to have like a fillet versus o- kind of okra kind of a situation here, right? Like in other words, it's just the flavors that you want. And you're looking to do like a like a like a binder, and you're not doing any sort of. Uh, you're doing mainly sausage and. 
I don't know. There will be rice in there. Uh, I'm just using a, a darker roux. Uh, and it was, you know, ideally it'd be something that's sliceable, like you would slice maybe the Korean blood sausage or the Polish type or a morcilla or something like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it should, I mean, so you're looking for something that's not, you're looking for something to bind the way blood would, but that doesn't have a heavy blood taste so that the sucker tastes like gumbo? Exactly. Because I've tried it just by mixing cooked rice and my gumbo and casing it, uh, it was too loose and too wet on the inside. Right. What, I wonder what would happen, I wonder what would happen, so like, so typically in these sausages, right, the rice is expanding and absorbing to kind of solidify, and you end up with the kind of like, depending on how much liquid, et cetera, et cetera, how loose it is, but the, the, the when you put it in, do you par cook your rice, or do you put it in, how do you do your rice when you do your blood sausage? It's been so many years since I've made a, a blood sausage. Do you do any par cooking to it at all, or? Yeah, the rice is fully cooked. Fully cooked. Fully cooked. So it's not going to absorb yes. too much water. So it's not like it's not like you do for like a like a haggis or anything like that. You're you're putting in fully cooked product. Okay. Right. So so you get to choose the kind of uh, texture you want, but you want it relatively loose. So in other words, you wouldn't want to do like an emulsified sausage or like a, a force meat or like a, like a mousse, and then like fold the rice into it and then stuff it that way. Because that would stuff easy, but you'd have kind of a, a denser, you know, more like you would for like a, like a seafood sausage or like an emulsified, like, uh, like you know, an emulsified sausage. But you're not looking to do that. Right. Just from a, a technical perspective, I'd have to figure out how to get the emulsion right. And then uh, I think that would introduce too many variables. But I'm willing to explore if, if that's the way to get the result. I mean... I know that would hold as long as you don't break it and get it, you know, as long as as long as it doesn't break. Like emulsified sausage is not as hard as people say it is as long as you keep all the stuff cool, right? And you add enough binder to it so it's not going to like it's not going to fly apart on you. Now, most of the time I cheat and I'm doing like uh, like I say seafood base and so I I basically just make a standard canel mixture and then put it into sausage casings and go. I know that would work with rice, but I don't know what would happen if you took it away from that kind of base and turned it more into a uh, – so you're doing – hmm, I have to think about this, but I don't have too long to think about it. And he, Matt, you should no, open sorry, up the chat room to it. Use, so uh, the word you had used it. a minute ago, canel? Yeah. Uh, I'm not familiar with it. How, how do you spell it? I'll look it up. Oh, Q-U-E-N-E-L-L-E. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, gotcha, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Yep. Yeah, and you know, that's just – you know, it's just a like a seafood so it's a mousse type thing. Yeah, it's just a mousse. It's a seafood mousse, and you know, for if you're doing a canal, you just take your your spoons and go chack, 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 and and then you you poach them off. Or you could take you know fundamentally the same mixture and pipe it into a casing because who doesn't like the snap of a casing, right? And then uh, and then go, but. And I know that would be easy to fold rice into, but I don't know if that's going to be the kind of texture you want. And I've never done it. I've never done it with other than seafood. I have made regular emulsified sausages before, but I've never then folded anything into my emulsified sausages. Of course, people do it all the time. People, you know, fold cheese into their sausages all the time. You know what I mean? Other things into mm-hmm. their emulsified sausage all the time. So, um, I mean. That's going to be the easiest, easiest way to go is to, I think, do like a mousse like that to pipe it in and then and then poach it off. But I don't know if that's going to be exactly what you want. I'm going to try to give it more thought. 
No problem. I, I appreciate it. I think I just got to do some more work then uh, in exploring kind of the use of the emulsification then. That's something I've been avoiding up till now. But yeah, well, be a good uh, way to start it's that. like, yeah, I mean, like depending on to kind get that of, bind, right? Yeah, right. Depending, I mean, it is true that it is easy to f up a like a, like a standard like a hot dog emulsion, right? For some reason, those go kind of grainy pretty easily. But then if you just look at, like, the standard, like, mousse-based sausages that, you know, French people cheat with all the time, they're pretty easy to get going. You know what I mean? Like, they very rarely die on you. You know what I'm saying? Um, right. So maybe, you know, splitting the difference somehow is the, is the, the, way, the way to get it to, to work. But please uh, hit me back. Uh, like, either call in or tweet to at Cooking Issues and let me know where you're getting with it. I want to know your final solution so that in the future I will know what worked. Gotcha. I'll take some pictures as well if things go well. Uh, i got some experiments to do, but I appreciate your guys' help. Cool. And have a good Super Bowl. Yes, N- thanks. N- you too. Bye. Nastasi, you going to do mean, a Super Bowl yeah, party? What does he mean? I, he hopes he gets my, my, I get my mojo back. Because you've lost your complete mojo. I don't know. Maybe I was talking Who crap about you last week. Maybe I was talking crap about you last week. Matt, was I talking to you? sex life. No, that doesn't just mean your sex life. What Wait, the? what? 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 What, should what does mojo mean? Oh, mojo is used more generically than that now. Much Although, more generically. Uh, you're just saying you were complaining about the city, the city getting you down. It's like life force. Yeah. Essence. So you're so when you listen to the Doors, you're only thinking about yeah, about you, his and, and, about uh, his uh, Johnson. Yeah, um, yeah. Mojo Robinson. <laughs> okay. That's all you're thinking. No. In the case of Jim Morrison, yeah, that seems like the right interpretation. Yeah, but that's because that's all Jim Morrison percent. thought about. I mean, Nastasia is like the Jim Morrison of cooking issues. Wow. <laughs> There's only two. Wow. Ones. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's not saying much. Does that make me Ray Manzarek? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You, you're like steady. You steady the ship. You make sure things happen. Well, that's because Nastasia freaking hates the doors. I don't know who she hates you do more too. Ray Manzarek you do too. or. J- I do not! Really? The doors are an overrated bar band. Come on. What? First of all, everyone hates them, so how can they be overrated? Dave hates the Eagles. I don't know. Everyone hates the Doors. That's not true, though. I'm supposed to hate them because instead of a bass player, they have a keyboardist. I know, yeah, that, right. That's terrible. But Ray Manzarek is great. His keyboard is good. He's a great keyboardist. Yeah, I think he is good. I think Jim Morrison is overrated. He's supposed to be like a rock god. Well, I mean... He is sexy. I guarantee you he was terrible in concert because he was wasted all yeah. the time. You know what I mean? Actually, I should ask uh, my stepfather. My stepfather saw them in concert. At the, at the Garden in Boston. Um, we have another caller on the line with a question about the doors. What? All right, caller, you're on the air. Hey, I uh, emailed in two questions last week, one about pressure canning and the other about milk. Ah, the milk, osmosis. the re- reverse osmosis? Yeah. Yes, I, so uh, here, I found, see if I wrote it down for you. There's someone, so clearly it can be done. I looked it up, and clearly people do this for a living. But you were mostly interested in how to kind of steal time from your buddies who make maple syrup, right? Correct, yeah. So if we can run milk through the RO without affecting their maple syrup production. Right, right, right. Now, I didn't have time to read the full article, right? But two things you might be interested in is uh, someone, I forget her name, someone in Denmark wrote a story on uh, the impact of reverse osmosis on milk quality and it was her findings that the quality of milk is not reduced in any way by there's some change in the uh, amount uh, in the amount of time it takes to curdle if you're going to make cheese out of it. Um, but but besides that, like reverse osmosis is 
gentle as you would expect it would be on the components right. of, uh, of the milk, all right? So there's that, but then here's what you want to look. This someone wrote, and here's why I didn't have time to go through it. It's 350 pages long, but it's someone wrote <laughs> their, dissert, their dissertation on exactly what you want to know, and uh, they were from the University of Canterbury, New Zealand. This was written in 2015. I forgot to write down the author's name, but the name of it is Fouling and Cleaning of Reverse Osmosis Membranes in the Dairy Industry. So if anyone Perfect. has the information for you, it is the person who wrote that 350-page thesis on... Oh, I'll sit down and read the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, because I've, then... I've got because, nothing but time on my hands. So right, fine. because, you know, uh, you know, presumably if they published it, this person uh, adequately defended their PhD. So instead of saying, instead of going to your maple buddies and being like, hey, some knucklehead in Bushwick says it's not going to hurt your, your, your membrane, you can be like, well, this guy wrote a PhD thesis, or a woman, I don't know. I, don't, I forget who wrote it. This person wrote his PhD thesis on it, and look. And then they have charts and data, so it's going to be all set, one way or the other. And one of my questions with it that I, I don't think I've expressed in the emails, is, um, everything I read about, pre uh, so I'm doing it to pressure can, I'm going to pressure canning kick right now, um, is the, commercially, they're not boiling down, that they're doing some, they call it an evaporator, but I can't figure out what the evaporator is, and I know like with maple syrup, when you put it through an RO, the quality of the maple syrup goes drastically down, um, because the sugar's in the pan less time, so you get a lot, grade A, but a lot lower uh, quality syrup, and, and and less robust tasting syrup. So I wasn't sure if that's the same thing that crosses over with the milk, if it has to be boiled, or are they commercially to get a product uh, similar to commercial? Can it even be used reverse osmosis so that the boiling time is greatly reduced? Okay, so I... And, and all that. Right, so evaporated milk, I mean, the, here's the issue, right? When you're, when, you're, when you're boiling maple... When you're making maple syrup, right, the goal is to make something that has flavor, right? So right. if you, I mean, you could take sap and you could completely, without applying any heat to it, with a high enough vacuum, suck it down to 66 bricks, right? It would be a pain oh. in the ass, yeah. but I'm right. a pain in the butt. It would be a huge pain in the butt, but you could do it. Now, what you're telling me, and I've never run the experiment, so I don't know, but what you're telling me is, is that if it doesn't have that heat applied, it doesn't have the flavor people like, right? Because it doesn't... Right. Well, so that's, that's your difference between the different grades and the different colors. Um, so you get different years. So this year producing was a really low sugar year because of the weather in the sap. So all the sap of people that produce boiling without reverse osmosis is really, really dark this year. Um, if you get this year's syrup from anywhere in the Northeast that's a really light color, it's been through reverse osmosis because that's the only way to get the light color to, yeah. Ooh, because cool. it, it's, yeah. it's not spending time in the pan. Right, because the longer – remember, the longer, you're, the longer you're boiling it, the kind of more um, – the more kind of breakdown you're going to get of whatever stuff is in there that's not pure and the kind of darker it's going to get. Yeah. And also, I, I might add also, I don't know this, but presumably – uh, you know, the sugar is there in a certain amount, but also other stuff is there in a certain amount. So if your sugar is low, it doesn't necessarily mean that your other adjuncts in it are at the same lowness. So to concentrate 
to the same bricks on sugar, you're probably going to get more of that other garbage. So it's more of the mineral. Right. So, but, uh, but maybe not. If you're telling me that if you just evaporated with RO, it's just as light as it used to be, that's saying that if you do just remove the water without heat, then it's not, it's not browning as much. So I guess that means that that's right. not the I case. I have a, an elderly couple that I help do their sugaring. They've got 150 taps, and I run their arc. Um, and it, or their, uh, their arch and it's always, it's dark syrup this year. I've got some friends that have half a million taps that everything they run through RO and then it goes to, uh, some bourbon producer down south. Um, but their, their syrup is at the right bricks, but it, it doesn't taste, hardly taste any maple at all. So I wasn't sure if, if that same theory would affect the way that the milk turned out. Okay. Well, what I think the good news for you is, is that, in general, commercially, I think they do do it under vacuum because if you cook milk down, it will naturally kind of Maillard brown on you. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it, it will brown on you. And um, so the, I think, uh, you know, and obviously you can see that it's accelerated in a, in a, in a pressure cooker. It goes brown, brown, brown in like under an hour. Right. So if you right. were going to co- boil concentrate something down, the more concentrate it, it concentrated it gets and, and the hotter it is, the browner it's going to get. And most people, when they're marketing these products, don't want those brown flavors. They want it to kind of be as light and as as little Maillard reaction as is humanly possible. And so for those people, I wouldn't be, you know, surprised that they make sure that the milk is not too basic when it goes in because basicity will obviously jack Maillard and they probably try to keep the the temperature as low as they can. And so applying a vacuum on it would be one way to do it, but then also presumably applying RO to it would be another way to do it, right? Now, right. um, or, and, and then like, you know, the ultimate, I mean, the, the advantage of RO is it's relatively low energy input for water removal compared to boiling. Right. Um, and also like a no heat, a no heat situation. I mean, but the, I mean, you know, the maple people probably just do it because it's energetically favor, favorable for them. Is that true? I mean, I don't really know much. Yeah. About you can, yeah. you can produce, uh, you know, there's no way that you're without RO, you're doing a, a half a million taps. <laughs> and boil, boiling off conventionally, um, it, it's got to go through the through the RO. What br- I mean, what bricks no do they take it to life. in the RO? Do you know? I say they take it to whatever the minimum legal is for the standard of the state of Vermont to call it Vermont maple syrups, which I, is either sixty six or sixty seven. Oh, whoa, whoa, they do it. They um, do it a hundred percent RO. No, so it's finished. It's finished in the um, in the arc, but it's or the arc. Sorry, I keep getting that wrong. It's finished. But once the flow starts going into that thing, and it's oil burned, and the chimney gets red hot, I mean, you get like three or four gallons a minute out of it. Right, right. So but, it's pretty close when it goes in. But in, I mean, so it, are they putting it in at like 30 bricks, or are they putting it in at like 40 bricks, or like all the way? I it's around like 45. So it's pretty, right. pretty dang close. They're not getting rid of that yeah. much water. Huh. No, not at all. Not yeah. at all. And there's a huge, the huge flavor discrepancy between that and stuff that's been actually boiled. Yeah. Now let me uh, let me ask you this. Um, when you so when you said this year, because this is kind of interesting to me, when you said this year was a low sugar year, like so, from what I gather, you're looking at about a forty to one reduction to take sap to syrup, right? Roughly. 
A little bit higher than that, but yeah. Okay. So, but like, so like, if if it's like what, if it's forty two. What was it this year? Like as much as fifty, or like was it even worse than that? Uh, it was it was worse than that. So, um, I, I I have written down not here at my house, but in the sugar shack. Um, I think for every, um, I'm I don't want to quote myself and have it way wrong, but we, we our yield was really low this year. Um, so the the amount of I think we it was like up like thirty percent for the amount of gallons of sap needed to produce a uh, a gallon of syrup. Thirty percent, jeez. So it's yeah, like it's big, not like it's, big yeah. difference. And, and but and Huge your difference. and your run was the same. Your run was the same. Like in other words, like you you, you got the same number of liters of raw sap, and you just got thirty percent less syrup out of it. Or did you no, also get so more sap? No, so they more more liters of sap. So the trees actually produced more liters of sap because they they kept thing, coming in and out of hibernation. So they kept cranking it out. Huh. So, uh, so like, the, the, the draw time was a lot like it was an extra month of collection. Um, so the sugar is, instead of going super concentrated up, I don't, I don't know the science behind it, but we had like an extra month of drying sap this year. And so that really dilutes down. But because it was so uh, warm, the, the melt-off from the snow, the, like that moisture is available in the ground for it to draw to push that sugar out to the leaves. All right, so I think what our listeners want to know is, is our strategic maple syrup reserves okay this year or not? Oh, I think they're fine. I mean, it, I wouldn't. I don't think there's a problem. All right. I have plenty of maple syrup anyways. <laughs> I've got tons of mason jars in the basement. But I mean, are you I'm telling me we it? should buy from a smaller producer that doesn't have an RO unit because the RO grade A amber is going to suck this year? I, I well no because I think it sucks every year. That's, <laughs> that's, my, that's a matter of opinion. And, you know, I grew, I grew up in Vermont having maple syrup that came from a small producer that was boiled off, and that's what I grew up with. I didn't grow up with the RO stuff. And uh, when I go somewhere and it's really light syrup, I'm really disappointed. Where a lot of people that they think, oh, really light syrup, really high quality, and, and that's what they like. Yeah, but you know um, that, that's the weird thing. If they want super super light, then why not just why not just use sugar? Right. Why not just use corn syrup with uh, fake maple? Yeah, or pa- pancake <laughs> syrup, know. as it's called. Right. Pancake. Right. Pancake syrup. Right. Right. All right, well, listen. Well, one, one last word of suggestion. Uh, you might not want to tell the people whose RO units you're borrowing that you think their product is garbage. Uh, they know it's garbage. They boil <laughs> off their own for themselves. <laughs> it, I mean, it's, it's a business, right? No. I mean, if, you, if some bourbon producer came to you and said, hey, we'll, we'll buy all your production, you go, okay. And you squeeze every penny out of it. I mean, I, they, they know it. <laughs> all right, all right, very good. Uh, cool. I had one other one other question for you, but we're going to skip it. Um, my daughter, who listens with me, had a question about seeds, but she decided that she wasn't going to eat her lunch because it had rice in it. So uh, we're going to skip it. All right. Well, to, like you know, uh, email it in. We'll get it next time. This episode is brought to you by Shaxbury Cider, who believe cider can be daring, complex, and eminently drinkable. Located in Vergennes, Vermont, Shaxbury make a broad offering of ciders, from the bright and fruity rosé to inventive, small-batch wild apple fermentation. Each fall, Shaxbury takes to the hills of Vermont to forage for the wild and forgotten fruit that make up their lost apple project. Shaxbury, producer of the first American-made Petnat cider, continues to experiment every year with limited-edition ciders designed to spotlight locally foraged fruit. To learn more, visit Shaxbury.com or follow them on Instagram at Shaxbury. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. 
My name is Jimmy Carboni, and I'm the host of Beer Sessions Radio here on HRN. My show is an audio ale salon celebrating the world of craft beer, cider, food, and more. Through discussions with industry insiders and knowledgeable beer fans, my friends and I explore every aspect of the brewer's craft, from grains to pint glass and tasting to toasting. You can find Beer Sessions Radio wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Stasia is a mean person. Uh, caller, you're on the air. Oh, hi, Dave. Hi, Stas. Is this my it's roommate? Claire. Hey, Claire. How you doing? <laughs> I'm good. How are you guys? All right. All right. What's going on? So I have a very important question that Stas, my roommate, and I temporary. would love your help in settling. Temporary roommate. Yes, temporary roommate. We will be living together for about two months when all is said and done. <laughs> this is the person um, that is hearing of. She has a surprise <laughs> face on. And by the way, we will not on air ever, and don't ask me, discuss Nastasia's roommate rules. They are, they are, <laughs> oh, they are perfect. They are what's not, the first one, Claire? Dave, don't it? only masturbate in the shower. Oh, my God, this is a family show. <laughs> but, <laughs> what the, I, mean, I said I, we will I, never I, discuss this wait, on air. I mean, that was Why did she it. ask me that, then? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> she, that was a trap. It was not okay. a trap. I specifically said, and when she told me the rules, I was like, this is horrifying. And also, I also, I mean, whatever, I don't want to, like. That's the only bad one. The others are only brush your teeth in the bathroom. No suitcase explosions. Um, take the trash out. Oh, Ask your question. No cups. No cups left around. We're now going over all of the rules. Rent the runway bags, go directly to recycling. That's an add-on for me. I thought you had to Um, give the bags back to them. No, the plastic. No, the plastic. (laughs) Hey, rent the runway people. Here's a new problem. They send you you two or three things in one bag, but if you only want to send one thing back, you don't have enough bags anymore. Well, that's why you have to have a a, a roommate who's a... Um, rent the runway mule for you. Yeah. Just keep taking them back. And the Clint Eastwood I'm really living the runway. dream. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, listen. So Stoss and I have something called the junk microwave, which is where we basically store all the naughty snacks in the microwave. That's a terrible idea. Okay, but yes, I would concur because the microwave is like hot. Well, that's not the it's only not reason. Hot. First of all, why is your microwave hot? Yeah, wait, I have questions. Because I, there's something I don't know. It's just always it's the light hot. Because like, I keep the light on. Yeah. Oh yeah, the what, light. You, you have like a low rider light. light underneath it. Yeah. What kind of light? It's, it's like a heat lamp, and she insists on keeping it on why? even when I'm sleeping because I don't know. Why do you keep a heat lamp underneath the microwave? Do you also store French? Con- if you <laughs> liked French fries, I would think you were storing French fries underneath <laughs> it, like on a perma basis. But you hate French fries, so yes, this is Can another we get thing. Some pictures hates. of Nastasia's kitchen. I have, I'm okay, feeling like but things Dave, are weird. I think the real issue here is that we're basically are we not creating a breeding ground for junk food bacteria? Well, no. I mean, those things are designed to be, you know, relatively. I mean, you could get roaches in there. They like heat. Is there, any, is there any moisture near there? Roaches yes, can invade microwaves. My, roaches can invade moist. microwaves. What? Yeah. It feels moist. 
Oh, if it's moist, then yeah, I mean, yeah, but like, the junk food is like nuts. That's not junk food. First of all, there is no such thing as junk food. I don't believe I'm not. I don't allow anyone in my house to use the term junk food. And when they use the term junk food, I berate them endlessly because it like it, you're just creating a false desire for something. You're like, oh, it's junk. I want it. Oh, I can't have it. I want it. What? What? You want? It's food. <laughs> there's food that you can. There's food that you should have sparingly, and then there's food that you could eat as much as you want. Nuts are relatively dry, Claire. I wouldn't worry about nuts. What are you worried about? Okay, that's what, okay. What I'm worried about is like the um, pop chip bag that's opened. Pop chips are a dry food. Yeah, but I'm telling you that there's moist. It feels damp and hot in the microwave. It, 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 look, first of all, things do feel m- more moist when they are warm. Strangely, because things give off. But <laughs> but like if the if pop chips in particular. Well, are they the sweet ones? Those are kind of a garbage product right there. That's no, a fake that's a fake junk food. That's garbage. Really good. What? It, isn't it just a fake rice chip? Yes. Uh, okay, look. I would just eat real salt and vinegar potato chips. Those things taste delicious. But anyway, my point is that uh, a pop chip because it is just uh, expanded uh, rice starch or isn't it right? Is it rice or is it corn? Rice. Right. All right. It's expanded rice starch. Uh, uh, so it's it's fundamentally it's styrofoam, but it's made of rice starch. So if it's moist at all, it will lose its crunch. So if there's any moisture in there, it is also garbage. She's bacteria growth. There's no... Ba- there's, like, bacteria require... Sour Patch Kids that grow bacteria, right? Sour... Okay, look. They're look in, people. They are individually wrapped. Sour Your patches. Sour those Patch are, Kids are individually sauces. wrapped? You sit there those and you individually sauces. wrap each Sour Patch child... <laughs> no, they're the Halloween. I think it's I think path. it's a family. Like I think there's four in a pot. Okay, listen. Anything with a water activity, uh, pop chips have a, a very very low water activity. Bacteria require several things. They require a high water activity. Um, they can't have too high of a salt level, um, and there can't be things in it that actively kill bacteria. So what what happens is is that your pop chips, unless they're wet, which they won't be, and then they won't be pop chips anymore. They'll be gruel, right? They're safe. Yes, they're safe. Uh, The water activity in a Sour Patch Kid, first of all, it is sour and it's got very, very high uh, amount of like sugar. It's fundamentally a solid. Nothing can really grow inside of the Sour Patch Kid. But if you have condensation, like if you have like condensation or a mist forming on the inside walls of your microwave... Now that can grow bacteria, and then when you when your hand goes in, it wipes across the biofilm of crap. Then when you put your hand into the pop chip bag, which I don't recommend, mm-hmm. by the way, I recommend you throw away the pop <laughs> chips and buy salt and vinegar potato chips. When you put your hand into the pop chip, and and now you've contaminated it with that disgusting biofilm, that's when you start having exactly. problems. Exactly, that's what I'm talking about. But may I suggest something else? Why don't you yes. get? Get you what's called a bread box, an old school bread box. It's just meant to keep Ooh. large vermin out, right? Like mice and whatnot. Yeah. It's got an air can move in and out of it because it's got like a little screen, but not so much air that stuff dries out. Put your snack foods in there and reserve your microwave for microwave usage. Like, what yeah, if you want to? Really what if you want to melt chocolate? Take everything out. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, this morning, I had to take everything out and put my oatmeal in. <sighs> Wait, you don't like oatmeal, Anastasia? <laughs> or you don't like microwave oatmeal? You know why I don't like... You know why I don't like the most oatmeal that people kind of make? They don't salt it. 
People are disgusting. No, I don't salt mine. Salt your oatmeal! Not like a Why? lot. Don't make it. Because that's the way God wants it. Add a little salt to the oatmeal. Do you add sugar? No, no, I'm doing the fast metabolism diet. What does so that I even add anything? What does that even mean? What does <laughs> what does that mean? Fast metabolism <laughs> diet. What is that? What 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 does that mean? Are you familiar it's with like, the term the Great Oat Rush from the '90s, no. where like like people were like, no. there was a there was this study later like found to be useless, where they were like, oat fiber. Oat fiber can lower your cholesterol. So then all the oat companies, meaning Quaker and like the two or three other oat people on earth, were like, hey, if you eat a if you eat eight boat tons of oats, right, then all of a sudden uh, your cholesterol yeah, is gonna drop. So then everybody and their mother, brother, sister, father, cousin started pounding oats, and then all of the big companies started pushing oats on people, and it yeah. was called the Great mm-hmm. Oat Rush. So I feel wow. that there is some sort of like oat oat rush reboot that's going on mm-hmm. here. In what way is an oat supposed to boot your boost your oh, metabolism? It's a, whole, it's a whole fast. It's a diet. There's more. Sh- it's a it's staged eating. So what like the hell does Mondays that mean? Tuesday, Welcome to my life. <laughs> on Mondays and on Mondays and Tuesdays, you eat like gluten free grains, what? vegetables, fruit. And then on Wednesdays and Thursdays, you only eat green vegetables and protein. And then on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you eat all of the above plus healthy fat. Healthy what? Fat. Fat. And what is what is this like, particular diet considered to be healthy fat? Avocado and nuts. Okay. You're in a cult. <laughs> <laughs> you have joined a cult. Let me tell you something about cults and cult dieting. It's a book. Because I, mm, many, many, look, Dianetics is also a book. But what I'm saying, no offense out there, but like what I'm saying is, is that you are in a cult. Now, the good news about cult diets is they can work because uh, most of the studies show that the most important thing with dieting is uh, A, that you get bored with it because if you're interested in eating, you'll eat more. So most diets Uh that work require that you become hateful of the food you're eating, right? Because that mm-hmm. way, you're, you just don't want to consume that much of it. And the second thing that's super important is no choice. If people re- remove yeah. your choice, then you also tend to eat less. You tend to eat in a more regimented manner. And that's really and why most things kind of work. You know, I, I, and by the way, like I've, I've you know, been a yo-yo my whole life, up, down, up, down, up, down. And if you just regiment yourself, turns out it might hurt you. Like I've, I've lost a lot of muscle mass in the past on certain diets. I've like made myself incredibly angry. I used to have a diet called Blunch. And uh, on Blunch, <laughs> Blunch, Brunch, it, so when you combine breakfast and lunch because you want to, that's Brunch. When you combine breakfast and lunch because you're only having one tiny meal to tide you over till dinner because you're on a stupid cultish regimented diet, that's called Blunch. And whenever I was on the wow. Blunch diet, I was a evil mean, more evil, more mean, more vindictive bastard than I would be on, <laughs> on a normal day. And Jen would come home at night and I would like, you know, bite her head off. This was before we had kids too. And she'd be like, you blunching? I'm like, yeah, sorry. Sorry, Jen. I'm blunching. I'm blunching hard. I said, this anger is all coming from the blunch, Jen. But the fact of the matter is, is that these kind of regimented cultish things work, but choose one that isn't ridiculous and that doesn't require you to like, like, just just be like, you know what? All I'm going to have every day, two eggs and some sauerkraut. And that'll work the same. Because you're just choosing one random thing. I'm going to have two eggs and a sauerkraut. And you're like, ooh, that looks good. Is it two eggs and sauerkraut? Then no. You know what I mean? Like, 
Or yeah. hey, go raw. If you if you if you go raw, all the food you eat is gonna get blasted out your hind end into your toilet, and you're not gonna you're not gonna like you know get any of it. You know what I mean? All I'm saying yeah, is, just realize. I hope it works for you, but you're in a cult now. We gotta go. Uh, so I had some questions I didn't get to, including I have to go on another pizza rant. Some person wrote in with some helpful stuff, but I have to talk about next week about commercial ovens versus home ovens. What's the difference? Uh, you know how like pizza steels and other things work versus stones, sauces, peels. Making a lot of pizzas in a row, et cetera, et cetera. I also, someone um, who wrote in before is uh, John Ayette. We answered some, one of his questions, but he has a thing out there. He wants to know people. Think about this for next week. He wants to know. He's a small egg producer, and he, he says he can produce an egg with a lot more yolk than white, right? Like, in other words, versus a standard supermarket egg. He says he can jack the yolk percentage up. And we'll talk more about it. Maybe he'll write in again. But is this something out there that people would be willing to pay extra? Would you, Cooking Issues listeners, be willing to pay extra for a massively yolked egg? Cooking Issues. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. <laughs>